Hello and welcome to your politics show here on Radio Verum 92.6 FM. That is the show where each week we talk to one of your local MPs to get the answers to your questions. If you've not been lucky enough to get an answer to your question this month, you can always DM us on social media when you see this go up or you can email in jason.mckenna at radioverulam.com and we will do our best to answer that next month. Today we are talking to Bambos Charalambos though, the local Labour MP for Enfield and Southgate and he talks through all your issues. The biggest discussion though continues to be Partygate. A lot of people thought that this would be over, the Sue Gray report came out and many Conservative MPs said that the buck stops there once it comes out. But despite this coming out, more things are being released, more revelations of what has been included, but also what hasn't. And so the discussions do rumble on. Bambos, first of all, what was your reaction when you read the report? Well, it's quite horrifying, actually. I mean, it's, I think the pictures and some of the text messages uh, were really damning. Um, and what's quite clear is that this isn't just um, a few people just uh, doing it without anyone else knowing. It is, uh, as the report said, it's a failure of leadership. Uh, and people just thought they could get away with it. Uh, and they seem to be uh, unaccountable to anybody for their actions. So clearly that's um, deeply concerning, and it shouldn't be the minor um, members of staff who suffer. This is like uh, punished in this way. It should be the ones at the very top, and that has to be with the Prime Minister. So let's discuss then... Uh, it's, it's come to the fore once again. But Boris Johnson's comments to Parliament, initially, there was no party at all. Then, if there was a party, the rules were adhered to. And then eventually, we have seen an apology. But once again, he has kind of reiterated the message that he was given information and he was just relaying that. So therefore, he does not believe that he has lied to Parliament. However, looking at the report, looking at the evidence... Bambos, do you draw a different conclusion? Do you believe that the ministerial code was broken and that Boris Johnson has lied to Parliament? Um, well, th- that's my reading of things. Um, if you break the ministerial code, you should resign. I remember about four years ago, Amber Raj uh, resigned as uh, shadow, uh, sorry, as Home Secretary when she inadvertently misled um, the. Um, the Home Affairs Select Committee. Um, um, so, you know, she did the decent thing, um, even though she, you know, could have sort of uh, toughed it out, but um, but she didn't. And you need to respect the rules. You need to respect the ministerial code. Uh, every opportunity, what Boris Johnson has done, so he's tried to wriggle out of it by using whatever um, means he's had at his disposal. Um, and... I know there's the privileges uh, committee is going to do their they're going to do their report into whether Boris Johnson has misled the, misled the house or not. Um, but I think anybody who's um, followed what's been said in Parliament over the recent months will come to the only conclusion they can reach, which is that of course he's misled the house. Let's move it on to the ministerial code and 
After these events, it has been revealed that Boris Johnson has now rewritten the ministerial code and some have described it as a loosening of the terms. It means that uh, ministers will not be forced to resign or asked to resign in what has been described as smaller indiscrepancies and also in the forward of it certain words about truth and committal to to certain values that has always been there previously have been removed we've seen pretty betwell twice break the ministerial code as you've described there your belief that boris johnson has as well i mean does this worry you that accountability has been shaved off a little bit by this conservative government uh, yes, 100%. I mean, I think the, the ministerial code is there to make sure it's certain levels of behaviour are not tolerated. Boris Johnson seems to, you know, be willing to, like, tear it up and um, allow ministers to get away with whatever they want to do, not answering questions, not behaving in the way that would be appropriate. So uh, it's... It, it, I, I just find it incredibly damaging to, um, to democracy generally if you have this runaway cabinet who can just do whatever they want under the guise of somebody who's already been um, served with a fixed term penalty notice. Andrew Rayner has called for this change to the ministerial code to be voted on by Parliament. Has there been any discussions, any progress on that position yet? Um, I Obviously we're in recess at the moment but I don't know if it will... Um, if there'll be an opportunity to vote on it, but certainly it's um, and and because the prime minister is the is meant to be the final arbiter as to whether a, a minister's broken ministerial code, um, it's hard then for Parliament to step in. Um, but um, but I do think Parliament, something so important as this, I think Parliament should have their say. And uh, one final question on that. Um, Andrew Rayner has also explained that Labour will introduce an independent integrity and ethics committee uh, if you were to come to power. Can can you explain how that would work differently to the current system? I think the... uh, I think at the moment the, the Prime Minister decides basically who can and can't keep their job. So we've seen uh, civil servants resign over the um, the Prime Minister's view on things. Whereas I think if there is an independent um, um, organisation that uh, re- reviews things, then uh, I think you know the, the judgment will be theirs, and they'll make the decision. Um, they'll, they'll take the view, and um, if a minister has been found to breach the code, then. Um, you'd have an independent body saying that uh, and that should hopefully lead to them resigning if they've breached it. I mean, it's, it should be quite clear cut. Um, but you then take it away from people who are partisan who just want to support their mates and they, there's no other accountability. How would this be 
ensured that it is isn't political as you've described there you know Angela Rayner's words were removed from politicians that will have powers to launch investigations without ministerial approval but the problem has been historically is with these sorts of independent bodies there are question marks about who can approve the people to go on to it who created it who is really in control this is something that we've seen with the independent uh, police complaints commission uh, where will Labour ensure that there are no loopholes or no politicising it? Well, it's always been, it, w- it would always be hard. You need to have somebody who's quite well respected. So maybe like a, uh, a retired judge or somebody who's um, uh, had um, experience in sort of um, uh, investigating things and reaching a conclusion, somebody who's uh, maybe a I know, a retired civil servant or maybe a group of people who would have that expertise and experience about how things work. Um, it's always hard to find those people. Uh, but, you know, go, go back to, to what we were saying at the start is that none of this would be necessary if uh, the Prime Minister followed the ministerial code uh, and uh, enforced it against some of his colleagues. You know, when Theresa May was Prime Minister, she made sure that the ministerial code was followed and that... Um, you know, you had ministers resign or be sacked by if they breached the ministerial code. You know, she um, she sacked people like um, Damien Green, who's one of her longest serving friends. You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, so she, she was quite, she held the ministerial code in high regard. Um, and uh, I think she feels, um, from what I've seen, uh, appalled at the way it's been treated by Boris Johnson. Let, let's turn the attention, though, to the local election results. Uh, in England, specifically, we saw huge losses for the Conservative Party. It was also over Great Britain as a whole. But specifically for England, 338 council seats were lost. But the huge worry, Bambos, and this is an issue that we talked about in terms of your last leader, Jeremy Corbyn, that maybe the messages of Labour are not resonating with the electorate. Labour saw just 22 seats gained in England, whereas the Liberal Democrats were the big winners of these local elections with 192 seats gained. Overall, with the whole of the GB kind of situation, um, 115 seats were claimed by Labour. The general consensus was this was not a good set of results for Labour. What was your reaction? Uh, I disagree with that. I mean, I think the you have to think about where we were starting from. So with the cycle of... Um, these seats these seats were last up for election in 2018 in 2018 we had um it was high watermark for labor because we we had the unpopularity of Theresa may and the policy on brexit um we had the um um we had quite a um the Labour party was doing well in the polls um, because we'd had gains in the general election just um, uh, eight months earlier, sorry, no, eight months, uh, 11 months earlier. So it was a time when Labour was far more popular uh, and the seats we were contesting were at a very high watermark. So it's not really surprising we didn't make as many gains as we could because we pre- pretty much um, made as many gains as we could in certain seats last time. Um, obviously, you know, we can't be complacent um so there are clearly challenges ahead for labor we're still 
possibly two and a bit years out from general election. So there will be a need to announce more policies and get our message um, across a lot louder in that time period. But I think we're doing a good job. Uh, we've got, uh, I've been up to Wakefield, we've got the Wakefield by-election coming up soon. Uh, so I think we'll see um, how well the party's doing with the outcome of that result. Um, and uh, I'm quite optimistic that um, hopefully we'll make a gain there. I, I do want to analyse this more though, because in the analysis of this, many kind of news organisations, political analysts as well, have said that the, the problem has been the continued underperformance of Labour outside of London. And some have blamed the leadership, uh, kind of echoing some of the points there of maybe looking at the results too positively, whereas the Red Wall voters overwhelmingly did not come back to the party which has been part of the problem some have said that it is because the policies are not resonating with them and a recent poll showed that overwhelmingly these people support public ownership of mail rail water and energy so is this something that we have discussed coming up again you know you said that the problem with the 2019 manifesto was jeremy corbyn and the whole of the labor team were unable to get the messages across uh, maybe early enough so that it could settle with the electorate people are saying that Keir Starmer's messaging has not been clear as well uh, what do you think on that do you think that there's going to be a change of tact coming up for the general election whenever it comes up yeah I I think there will be uh, I think what you need to do is wait and see what's uh, announced at the late Party conference uh, I think we do need to uh, get our policies out there as soon as um, we can um, and they need to be trailed you can't just announce um, um, dozens of policies all at once which I think is what we did in 2019 which didn't allow people enough time for the policies to percolate and for the message to get through so um, so I think there is we need to have a greater lead in time we need to make sure that our policies are very clear and concise and resonate with people um, so people can understand them we also don't, don't want to announce too many too soon because we've seen what's happened. We've announced our policy on the windfall tax. The Tories just copied it uh, and tried to um, try to implement it. So, um, um, so yeah, we have to be sort of um, in a situation whereby we're getting our message across. That it's a very clear message, uh, but that needs to happen over a period of time. So, um, so expect to see more from the party in the not too distant future. I just want to analyse this a little bit further before we get on to other questions, Bambos. Um, some of the kind of analysis has been that Labour has shifted maybe a bit too far to the right. Uh, you look at the RMT chief, Mick Lynch. He has said that Keir Starmer is not on the side of workers and that the Labour Party is shifting too far to the political right under Sir Keir Starmer. Also, Jacobin magazine reviewing um, the uh, book that is just about to come out about Keir Starmer said Starmer told Labour members exactly what they wanted here to become party leader. However, his tenure as Labour leader has seen him try to end the party's faction fight simply by driving the left wing out altogether. I mean, do you do you buy into any of that kind of analysis? Do you worry that these individuals who know the party well, who have been in it for a long time, are now distancing themselves from the direction that the party is going in? 
I, I would say wait and see because I think the people are very quick to pass judgment, but we were only just out of COVID. We've spent two years where Keir Starmer's been leader under um, COVID where he's not been able to get out and about to speak to, to the people. So there's, uh, I think it's um, a very unfair criticism to criticise him for, um, you know, whatever issues people have concerns about without waiting to see what the policies are and without Keir being out there. And also, I, you know, I should point out that the weekend there was a YouGov poll that showed that Labour would win uh, all but three of the red war seats that we lost in the last general election, which would put us well on the way to becoming, um, if not the party with the biggest seats, um, uh, then if not a, a, um, an overall majority, then certainly the party with the biggest number of seats in the next election. So I think that's a good place to be two years out from the general election. Let's continue the analysis then maybe on a, a more local level. And in your constituency, Labour did retain the Enfield Council, but it was also one of the only areas in the country that saw Conservatives actually make gains. Do you believe that this was a bit of a warning to the local Labour Council that has come under some criticism? I think there were definitely local factors that um, the council can certainly learn from, but I think it's not quite um, as you describe it because there was um, there was a rewarding of the borough, so some uh, wards were split in two, which made it harder for um, Labour to gain some of those wards. That we we won wards last time with very small numbers, which made it hard to retain them this time. Um, there were also other local factors. Uh, for instance, in Southgate Ward, the Greens uh, put um, three candidates up. They worked that ward really hard, uh, and uh, Labour suffered as a result of the efforts that are put in by the by the Greens in that ward. So I think there are, there are certain factors that don't make it as clear-cut um, as, as you think just by looking at the result. Having said that, there are always lessons to be learned in every election. So uh, I do hope that um, um, the council has taken note of some of the concerns that have been raised on the doorstep. Uh, and I'm sure you'll see a, a, a far more... Um, smooth and more efficient council uh, in the future. Let's turn the attention to one of the big issues at the moment, and it's the cost of living crisis. Uh, you mentioned a little bit earlier, you had, uh, obviously we're talking over Zoom, you had a wry smile on your face because you said that the Conservatives have performed another U-turn and have taken one of your ideas, but it was also put forward by the Liberal Democrats as well, the windfall tax. Are you happy that this measure has been taken up? Are you a bit annoyed that it was, as you said, stolen by the Conservatives? Or do you believe that this is good, but more needs to be done as well? I think they say uh, imitation is the greatest is the greatest form of flattery. <laughs> so, um, so certainly the... Um, um, anything that the windfall tax was certainly a Labour idea. We've been pushing it for months and months. In fact, it's taken um, five months of Rishi Sunak to actually um, come round to our idea is quite staggering, really. But um, but you know he has come round to it, and so we're pleased he's uh, implementing a, a Labour policy. Um, but uh, there's still much more that needs to be done because this is only a short-term measure. 
uh, and we want to make sure that people are protected from the cost of living crisis uh, and the increase in fuel um, and inflation as well. So much more needs to be done by the government. Um, but we'll wait and see how this uh, policy is uh, implemented. And I do note that um, uh, there was a split in opinion from the Tories about whether this was a good idea or a bad idea. First of all, I'd like to know what you think needs to be done, because as you said there, it's both a short-term issue and a long-term issue as well. So what is your ideas or what is the Labour Party's ideas that needs to be done? Sure. I mean, I think certainly things about looking at having more targeted help for people. So um, certainly people who are on universal credit, I think then more needs to be done for benefits, particularly for uh, pensioners as well. Uh, pensioners have a fixed income, so they they don't necessarily have any way of uh, getting any additional help with their income. So for them, it is a real choice of whether they should um, eat or eat. Um, but I think benefits also haven't kept up uh, pace with inflation, so there needs to be an increase in benefits. Um, so those are two of the sort of things that uh, I think we can do. Increasing the supply of fuel as well. So if there's, there are issues about supply, so what steps are being taken to, to help with that? Uh, I mean, it's, it's just staggering that um, the government got rid of the um, um, storage facilities for things like gas, which would have been really helpful, but they saw that as uh, an efficiency to get rid of all the storage, um, gas storage places. And um, and now we're paying the price for that. So I think there are some mistakes they've made in the past, and I think we need to uh, revisit that and learn from those mistakes. Let's move to the community questions, and Richard starts it off this month with asking Bambos, why are Labour not holding the Tories' feet to the fire of the embarrassing fact that Britain has some of the lowest state pensions, with the UK having a lowly maximum of £141 per week, where France has nearly three times that at £370 per week, Germany five times that with £507, and the apparent poor man of Europe, Spain, having £514 per week? Um, Again, we we should be doing that. Uh, uh, Certainly, I know that... um, uh, John Ashworth, uh, who's the shadow DWP minister, uh, is certainly sort of focusing his uh, efforts uh, on the government uh, for this because um, it's it's just shocking that more isn't being done to uh, help pensioners who have a fixed income and cannot afford uh, big increases in, in anything. So it's certainly something we'll, we'll push on. Uh, whether it's a, uh, an increase in the state pension or some help via other means uh, is a matter that I think the DWP team will, uh, will be looking on, uh, looking at. But the um, I know that John and his team will do a really good job and they'll really speak up for pensioners and try and redress the, um, the imbalance there. Cass has sent in a message saying there's a worrying trend of using trans issues as a wedge subject before the next election. Uh, They have sent in that the breakout party gave the statement that trans people aren't here to be a tool of amusement for political class or provide gotcha questions for politicians. They're marginalised people fighting for their right to exist. Cass has added, are you worried about this trend of focusing on debating semantics rather than the rights of marginalised individuals? This is something that the party, uh, the Labour Party has been sucked into. 
I mean, yeah, trans issues have been seen as a wedge issue. Uh, it's been deliberately sort of promoted by some people as a, uh, for, to become a culture war. Um, and, you know, the trans community is uh, relatively small, but we do need to have these arguments, do need to have uh, policies on these, otherwise will forever be sort of uh, chasing our tail. So we should have an, an open discussion and policies on that um, because it, it is an issue that concerns um, people and they do need to know where we stand on it. So uh, I'm, I'm more for us having a policy uh, on trans rights and trans issues. Um, and uh, it does seem to be done very sensitively. I think many trans people um, have real difficulties um, in, in in getting support that they need to actually reach the uh, decisions that they reach. So I do think that's, that's an element that isn't looked at, isn't sort of discussed so much. I mean, obviously we need to make sure that there are safe spaces for women, that goes without saying, but that shouldn't necessarily be at the expense of trans people. So I do think we need to like have a, a proper debate about this where we do sort of uh, speak the issues and in, a, in an environment that doesn't make it seems it's a culture war because uh, these issues need to be debated and they deserve a lot more than that. Nick has explained that there was a fire at the Potter's Bar bus station. This has affected services in our area. Will these buses be replaced? And when can we expect more normality with the services? Um, and I guess to answer that one first, Bambos, because he's got some other questions about the finances of the issue as well. So um, I, I don't know too much about the fire, but certainly... Um, uh, bus companies do have insurance uh, and they uh, I'm sure they could borrow buses from other fleets uh, if uh, if they're really desperate um, so there shouldn't be any impact on the services because the uh, the bus companies should be fulfilling their contractual obligations for those services um, who pays for it well that would depend on the cause of the fire uh, if anyone uh, other than the bus company was to blame, then there might be liability issues for, for those people. So it would certainly be an insurance matter, I believe. Um, but, you know, the, the bus service, they provide links for the community and it shouldn't be uh, affected too much. Um, uh, it, it certainly shouldn't be the, the um the customer who pays for this so it certainly should be out of the um, um the bus company's insurance or wherever else is liable um so it shouldn't be the expense of uh, anyone using the service maria wanted to bring attention to a wonderful scheme being run at woodbury practice uh she explains that gps from there have launched a local initiative aiming to tackle loneliness it's called talking Enfield with the aim of increasing the physical activity of Enfield residents and reducing social isolation by encouraging them to walk and talk, hence the word talking. Um, is this something that you're delighted to see piloted in our area? Oh, 100%. I think it, it and this deals with um, two issues. So certainly being active is certainly a good health benefit, but loneliness can also have an impact on your health. I think I have read somewhere that um, loneliness can, in some cases, have the same impact as smoking 20 cigarettes a day. 
Um, so certainly having company and being able to um, walk with somebody and talk to them um, can have both um, health benefits, uh, both mentally and physically. Um, and it's it's a, a great scheme, and I 100% support the Woodbury practice uh, for coming up with this initiative, uh, and I hope that other practices also adopt it. Would you ever take up a bit of talking yourself? Would you would you want to get involved at all? <laughs> I, I walk and talk a lot of the time, so you know, <laughs> um, um, not quite to the West Wing standards, uh, but um, but I certainly sort of do. So uh, basically, Bambosh, you're a, you're a professional talker then uh to to use the phrase <laughs> I, I do talk a lot yeah <laughs> um callum has asked a quite a specific question he said he saw somebody fly tipping in his road i got their car registration how do i report them it's really easy go on into the council's website and the first page will um direct you to a link or to where you can actually report fly tipping if you've got evidence even better um i know that the um cabinet member for environment rip jewel is very very keen to prosecute more people fly tipping so um do send it in and i'm sure action will be taken uh, if you've got the evidence to show who's been doing it michael has a question about another local issue he says that thieves stole the defibrillator from palmer's green station will this be replaced soon uh i I know it will but i am not sure exactly when but it is one of these appalling pointless acts of um vandalism just to steal a defibrillator i mean it's just crazy uh and that could save somebody's life so you actually uh, not only vandalizing something but you are potentially putting people's lives at risk by doing that so um uh, i don't know exactly when it will be replaced but i can find out and uh, get back on that excellent and the final question of this month's interview kathy has asked about your visit to the barnet and southgate college she says you looked at the refurbished area of the school were you impressed and also she's got a a couple of interesting follow-up questions so um so around the college um they've got some great buildings they've also got some that are in urgent need of repair uh, and I think they'd like to demolish some of them and rebuild some some new ones. So I very much support Barnet and Southgate College's endeavours to try and do that. Um, but what I did see that I was very impressed with, so that they, they do seem to be doing a good job at the college. So uh, I certainly wish them very well for the future in those endeavours. Um, so Cathy also asked, uh, I guess, a, a nice little summary here. What was your favourite subject at school slash college? And did this help you get involved with politics? Well, I actually had two favourite subjects. Subjects I loved most was maths, but also loved uh, English as well. Uh, so unsurprisingly, my two A-levels were pure maths and uh, uh, English. Uh, and those subjects certainly helped help me well, helped help me being an MP, because uh, first of all, you, you have to have um, a logical, methodical mind to problem solving, which is like the, the math side of things. But separate from that, you have to read uh, lots and lots of documents. So uh, I was certainly... Um, um, 
don't like reading or that I get to read for pleasure a lot less these days than I would have done when I was uh, younger but it's certainly um, helped me in good stead for, um, for my being an MP and I guess uh, you know you did pure maths the the big math uh, problem for you is how to get as many of those 650 parliamentary seats um, so that that's the way you'll be using your maths going forward if only that was purely a maths problem <laughs> So that is the end of this week's politics podcast. I hope you have found the information useful. However, there is more from the politics podcast. You can head over to the Radio Verulam website and listen to the extended versions because our politicians have a little bit of extra time to answer your questions over there. Also, if you feel like you've missed out on anything, you can replay those interviews again over there on the website. And finally, if you feel like you've missed out with your questions, you can always email me jason.mckenna at radioverulam.com or you can DM us on any of our social medias. However, for this week, it's a goodbye, a good luck, and I'm wishing you the best of health and to see you again at the same time for next week's political interview. <laughs>